Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Luke, and I get to serve as one of the ministers here. Uh, happy Father's Day, by the way. Uh, it's a good day. Congrats to all the dads in the room. Uh, you survived. And uh, have you ever wondered why God invented the family? Like, he could have done it, I'm sure, a whole lot of different ways, and I don't know, obviously, exactly what the process went like, but um, one author imagined that it might have gone something like this. He says, uh, one day, God says to the angels, hey, angels, I have an idea, I'm gonna create the family. And so an angel asks, well, all right, God, what is it? Well, God says, I'm I'm very excited about this idea. Of course, I'm very excited about all my ideas. One of the best things about being God is just you never have a bad idea. But this one, God says, is special. Family is gonna be the way that I connect people in love. God says it's, it's going to work like this. Adult people will sign up to take care of a tiny little stranger. So the angel says, well, are, are they going to get paid? Well, God says, no, actually, that stranger is going to cost them a whole lot of money. Not only that, but the little stranger won't even be able to talk. It'll just cry and scream, and you'll have to guess why, and it'll make you lose sleep, and it'll make messes all the time that you have to clean up, and it will be utterly vulnerable. I mean, you're going to have to watch that kid 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and then God says when it's two, that little stranger will learn how to talk, and it'll start using words like no (laughs) and mine. And it'll throw tantrums. And then God says, then I'm thinking about inventing puberty. (laughs) Not quite sure about that one yet, God says. But if I do, they will get these strange things called hormones that will go crazy. And odd things will happen to their bodies. And they'll get pimples. And their voices will crack. And their limbic systems will melt down. And then, then and only then, they will grow up. And just when they are mature and beautiful and interesting and able to contribute, they will leave. Now, that's the idea, God says. What do you think? (laughs) And the angels are all kind of shuffling around, you know, looking at their feet like, do I got to tell them? Are you going to be the one to tell them? Like, like, God, who would do it? What? Why in the world would they sign up for that? And that's where God gets really excited. God says, well, they won't even know why. (laughs) They'll just look at that little body with those little hands and those little feet, and they will think that that little stranger is beautiful, even though he looks like every other baby, and all babies look like Winston Churchill. (laughs) (laughs) And then one day that little stranger will smile at them, and they will think they've won the lottery. That little stranger will say, Dada and Mama, but it will say Dada first, because daddies are so self-sacrificial and noble, (laughs) and oh, how I love them. But moms are good too, God says, so it'll say dada and mama, and then those little arms and hands will reach up and wrap around that neck, and that grown-up will think that for the first time in their life, they understand why arms and hands were created. What it's really all about, God says, is just grace. The children, the new generation will learn that they're prized and that they belong before they've ever done anything to deserve it. And the old generation will learn that when they give, they receive. And when they give the most, that's when they receive the most. And then one day, I will tell them, human race, I'm your father. You're my daughter. You're my son. And they will get it. 
and they will be undone. God created the family. And I don't totally know why, but, but I do know that God created the family to be the very first place where we get to give and receive his blessing. The very specific blessing of belonging and being loved. Now, there are two things about this blessing that we have to know. The first thing is this, that every time God blesses, it's a gift. It's always a gift of grace. You might remember way back in the beginning in the book of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, God creates everything. He creates the very first man and woman. And what do you think God does to them before they ever do anything to deserve it? Genesis chapter one, verses 27 and 28 says this. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God created you so that he could bless you before you ever did anything to deserve it. And that blessing also came with a command. It goes on in verse 28. And God, the very first command in all the Bible, God says, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So the first command in all of scripture, God says is, hey, take that blessing and spread it to every corner of the world. So the second thing you need to know about blessing is that God's blessing was meant to be shared. God would say later to a guy named Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, you've been blessed to be a blessing. God's blessing is always a gift of grace and it's always meant to be shared. And, and, and God blesses the world and shares that blessing in all, all kinds of different ways, primarily, of course, through his son Jesus. But actually, the family God ordained as the very first place where we get to experience the giving and the receiving of that blessing, the blessing of being loved. And that blessing is meant to be shared in the family, from grandparents to grandchildren, from husband to wife, from mother to child. But scripture also shows us over and over again, we see it, that there's a unique power in the blessing of a father to his child. And there's a weightiness to a father's love, a father's blessing. And man, you've seen it just like I have. If a child does not receive that blessing freely given from their father, man, they'll spend the rest of their life looking everywhere they can to find it, won't they? I got to have lunch with uh, one of my heroes in ministry a few weeks ago, and we're sitting there at Chick-fil-A and we're eating our breakfast, and just as we're kind of wrapping up all our stuff and getting ready to go throw it in the trash can, he looked at me and he said, hey, Luke, one more thing. He said, always remember to preach from the blessing and not for the blessing. From the blessing, he said, not for the blessing. Because he said, you know, you gotta get your well done from God and not from the platform. Because if you live for applause, the presence of it will inflate you and the absence of it will crush you. From the blessing, not for the blessing. I needed to hear that. And, and that's what I want for all of us today, whether or not you're in ministry. Our calling is to live from the blessing and not for the blessing. And so that then we can share freely with our kids, with our grandkids, with our friends, that same blessing of God's love so that then they can live from that blessing and not for that blessing. Now, you may wonder how all this is tying in to our series. Like Brad mentioned, we're walking through the life of a guy named David together this summer. He was a king in the Old Testament before Jesus came and lived here on the earth. I hope you've been enjoying reading through the life of David with our text messages like I have this summer. And today, in our text, we're going to see what might just be the most tragic part of David's story. It's the story of a blessing that was not given. 
It's a story of a dad who fails to bestow that blessing of love on his children. And so we're gonna see that his children are forced then to try to live for the blessing and not from the blessing. And listen, it's Father's Day, I know, but whether you're a father or not in here today, this is for you. Because every one of us, God has put us around certain people and every network of people, family or not, all relationships tend to work according to the law of the harvest. The law of the harvest, especially from parents to children. And here's what I mean. Paul describes the law of the harvest like this in Galatians chapter six. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. That's the law of the harvest. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So in light of that, Paul says, hey, let's not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So the law of the harvest is that you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow, pretty simple, right? And we're gonna see that play out in David's life today in the worst possible way. Now, like Brad mentioned, we've seen that David was a man after God's own heart. That doesn't mean he was a perfect man, though. In fact, David has some pretty horrific sin in his life. The most famous episode, maybe you've heard of it, is this time when David is supposed to be out at war with his army, but he's kind of slacking off and he's at home instead and, and he's bored and bored men do dumb stuff. He's walking on his roof and he sees a woman bathing down below and he asks his servant, he said, who is that woman? Just that woman. And his, his servant says, that woman is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, you know, the, the Hittite, your, your buddy. It, it's another man's woman. But David gives in to his lust. He calls for Bathsheba. He, he sleeps with her and, and she gets pregnant. So David gets Uriah drunk to try to cover it up, but that doesn't work. And, and then he gets Uriah killed to try to sweep this whole thing under the rug. And, and eventually David is confronted about his sin. And to David's credit, he repents. And listen, God forgives him for that. And that's what you need to know today. That's the baseline of everything we do here. Jesus loves you and he can't forgive you. God loves to forgive sin. Listen, the grace of God is so big. There's more grace in God. God than there is sin in people. I don't know if you just heard that or not, but I'd love an amen right now. There's more grace in God than there's sin in people. I need that. That's my only hope this morning, and it's yours too, just for the record, okay? There's more grace in God than there is sin in people. God loves to forgive sin no matter what you've done or when you did it, how recently you did it, who you did it to. God can forgive your sin. And David was forgiven of his sin, but he couldn't unsin. You know what I mean? Like even though he's forgiven, there's still consequences for his actions. And we see it play out according to the law of the harvest. That it was that same laziness that led David to be at home when he should have been on the battlefield. It plays itself out in his relationship with his kids through that kind of laziness, that passivity. And perhaps David's most tragic failure was his failure as a father. Because remember, you reap what you sow. It's the law of the harvest. And so think about what we just saw in the story of David and Bathsheba. David was passive as a man. And he gave in to his lust. Now, I'm speculating, but my guess is his kids might have seen inklings of this whole thing going on there in the palace. And so later on, in 2 Samuel chapter 13, that's where we're kicking off our story for the day. 2 Samuel 13, one of David's sons, a guy named Amnon, starts to lust after his half-sister Tamar. And just like his father David, he gives in to his lust, and Amnon rapes his half-sister Tamar. It's this horrific, terrible story, like father, like son. He just gives in to his passion, and then he says this to his servant. After the deed is done, he says, get that woman out of my sight. 
Same phrase that his dad used about Bathsheba. That woman, not even treating her like a person, just like a can of Coke. You drink the Coke, you throw away the can when you're done. Like father, like son. And in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 21, it says, when David heard all this, he was furious. Like, I would hope so, right? <laughs> like, one of his sons just raped one of his daughters. Yeah, I'd hope that he would be furious. And yet, even though he's angry, David does nothing. We never see David consoling his daughter, Tamar. We never see David confronting his son, Amnon. Yeah, he's angry, sure, but it's a useless anger because there's no action with it. David is utterly and completely silent. And so when David does nothing as a dad, one of David's other sons, a guy named Absalom, says, listen, if dad's not gonna step in and take care of this, I guess I'll just have to do it myself. Absalom is furious about this whole thing. He gets his half-brother Amnon drunk and kills him for raping Tamar. Now, does this sound familiar to you? David and Bathsheba, a story of laziness and lust and sin and then covering it up by getting somebody drunk and killing them and then in the next generation, a story of laziness and lust and sin and trying to deal with it by getting somebody drunk and killing them. It's the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. It's a tragic story and after Absalom murders his brother, Absalom has to flee from town and obviously running from the law. And Absalom stays away for three whole years. And if you read this in our text messages, like if you read this, the text says that David longs to go see Absalom. He wants to be reconciled to his son. And yet even though that's his desire, he does nothing. He didn't confront Absalom about murdering his brother. He doesn't try to reconcile with Absalom. Finally, after three years, he lets Absalom come back to Jerusalem, but they still don't see each other or talk to each other. Jerusalem was not that big of a city at this point, but David avoids his son for two years. It's now been five years since father and son have spoken. Eventually, David lets Absalom come see him, and the text says David kissed him. Sounds like it's this great family reunion, like reconciling moment. What you gotta understand though is that's just an ancient formality for what you do with kings in throne rooms. Actually, in this whole interaction where father and son are reunited, David doesn't say a word. Silence. He doesn't say, hey son, let's talk about what happened with Tamar. He doesn't say, hey son, let's talk about how you lied to me. Hey son, let's talk about how you murdered your brother. Hey son, let's talk about this anger problem that's getting you in so much trouble. It's just a resounding silence from father to son. And so you can imagine what's going on in Absalom's heart, can't you? They're like, since that blessing of a father's love and attention wasn't freely given to him, just this resentment starts to grow instead. He can't live from the blessing, so he's got to start competing for the blessing. In fact, Absalom decides, I'm just not even going to try to get dad's blessing anymore. Absalom decides he's going to overthrow his father, David, and take the throne for himself. And he does. David gets kicked off the throne. And there's this big battle that follows, and David's army is fighting against Absalom's army. And even then, you can tell David still has love in his heart for Absalom. He says, yeah, beat their army, but whatever you do, don't hurt Absalom. And yet Absalom ends up dying in the battle. And as soon as David found out that Absalom was dead, take a look at what happens, 2 Samuel chapter 18. It says, the king was shaken. He just found out Absalom's dead. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. As he went, he said, oh, my son, Absalom. My son, my son, Absalom. If only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Clearly, he's grieving here. The shocking thing about this text 
is that in all these chapters that have been chronicling the dysfunction between David and his children, all these chapters that have been chronicling the relationship deteriorating between David and Absalom, this is the very first time that the word son is used. David never calls Absalom his son until it's too late. He finally decides to break the silence that he's been holding on to for years, but by this point, he knows the time has passed. He can't get it back. And so five times, my son, my son, my son, my son, my son. A passive father, a blessing withheld, and it's the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. Tragedy after tragedy after tragedy tears this family apart. It's the law of the harvest. And listen, you, you've seen this play out just like I have, right? It's heartbreaking to see that, you, like, the Bible's typically right about how life works, and, and the sins of the parents are so often multiplied in the lives of their children. Like, if you neglect your kids, odds are good they're going to neglect theirs. And if you are a passive-aggressive, controlling spouse, odds are they will be too. And if you're a workaholic who has trouble giving attention and affection to the people around you, then the people around you are going to grow up with attachment issues, and they're going to look for it somewhere else. And if you mistreat their mama, odds are good they're going to have issues with commitment. They're going to have issues with conflict. If your relationship with Jesus and the church is not a high priority to you, if it doesn't make any difference in the way you actually live at home, then your kids aren't going to want a part of it in their life. They're not going to see it as real. If you fail to be generous financially, if you have this love of money lingering in your heart, your kids aren't going to be dumb. They're going to see that and they're going to grow up with that same kind of greed and materialism and uh, entitlement that they see in you. And listen, I'm not just standing on some kind of moral high ground today, okay, as somebody who has this all figured out. I'm a human being too. Just last night, our kids, we were, were all kind of huddled up as a family in our little prayer time with our Bible story before we put the kids in bed. And then I asked the boys, I said, uh, hey guys, am I a perfect daddy? And Cal said, No. <laughs> I wanted him to have to like think about it for a minute, you know, but he, he answered it really quickly. It was, was kind of uncomfortable. Uh, I said, do I sin? Cal said, yeah. Judah said, yeah, you sin all the time. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. And the worst part about it is he's right. We all know he's right. And one of the most heartbreaking things, I'm sure you felt this too, one of the most heartbreaking things as a father is when I see my sin multiplied in the lives of my children replicating my hard-heartedness and my dishonesty and my pride being passed down to the next generation. It's the law of the harvest. And listen, please hear what I'm not saying today. Is every one of the sins of your children your fault? No, especially as they get older, they're their own people. They're gonna have to stand before God someday and be accountable for their actions as individuals like all of us are. And praise God, hopefully a whole lot of the decisions they're gonna make are gonna be better and wiser than the ones we made, amen? That's my hope as a dad. That's my prayer. And yet, and yet, the law of the harvest still rings true. And it's a challenge for me to remember that like, we are living our lives as ancestors. Like Somebody's going to see you in a photo album someday and not know who you are, and they're going to have to ask your gra their grandma about it, right? And, and, and your kids are these living messages that we are writing and we're sending to a time that you and I won't live to see. And so those messages that you are writing on their hearts and those seeds that you are sowing in their soul, that blessing that you are either giving or withholding, it will have a ripple effect for generations to come. That's a weighty, holy task. It should lead to some fear and trembling on our part. 
So in light of that today, can I just give you three gentle challenges? Like whether or not you're a dad this morning, if you're a mom, if you're a friend, if you're a grandparent, God has entrusted you with influence on the people around you for every single one of us. So even though we're using the language of dads and kids today, this is for all of us. Here's challenge number one. Give your children the blessing of a godly example. Give your children the blessing of a godly example. Before we throw too many stones at David, think back about what we know about David's childhood experience. Remember how he was the kid who was left out in the pasture? He grew up ignored and looked down on by his dad. So no wonder that he would ignore his kids in their moments of need. That's not to say David was a crummy dad all around. Later on, actually, as David lay dying, we actually hear David's last words to his son Solomon. It was another one of his sons who would go on to become king. And these are David's last words. They're really good. It says, when the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. He said, I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong. Act like a man. Observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him. Those are really good words, right? That's a good charge from father to son. Did Solomon do it? Yeah, for a little while he did. But then Solomon got a bunch of wives, just like he'd seen his father David do, and they led him astray. Now, Solomon wasn't an entirely bad king. He wasn't an entirely bad dad. We actually have some of Solomon's words to his son, too. You might remember Solomon had been given this gift of wisdom by God, and so Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. It's a collection of, of wisdom sayings, how to live in obedience to God. And if you've read the book of Proverbs, you might remember that Solomon wrote this book of Proverbs to his son. It's a gift from father to son. So did Solomon's son do it? Well, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, would go on to become an even worse king than his dad. He was very unwise. The kingdom ends up splitting. It just goes to show that as a parent, as a grandparent, you can say all the right things. You can write the book on wisdom. But if they don't see it modeled, if you don't live it out in front of them, you know, you, it's the old phrase about more is caught than is taught. My dad likes to say, you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. It's a little scary, isn't it? Because I, I know me. Last week we were home and I was sitting just talking with my oldest, Judah. And I asked him, I said, hey man, what, like, what kind of man do you want to be someday? He said, a baseball player? <laughs> I said, great buddy, that's awesome. I hope so. But I mean, like, what kind of man do you want to be? What do you want to be like? And he didn't miss a beat. He just said, You? because <laughs> listen I know my heart and I know the law of the harvest and I know that my hope as a parent my only shot is Romans chapter 5 verse 20 that where sin increased grace increased all the more that's my only hope right and I know that my kids are going to come out of my house someday a little screwed up a little warped a little twisted they're going to need to talk to some people and get it figured out and I know part of it's going to be my fault and I wish I knew how I was screwing it up or else I'd try to fix it right now but I'm just trusting that the grace of God is going to fill in all the gaps right and yet I also want them to see it in me like I want you and me to be able to look at our kids and look at our grandkids and look at the people that God has placed around us and I want us to be able to honestly look them in the eyes and say like Paul did in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. If you wanna know what it looks like to follow Jesus, I'm not perfect, but do what I do, watch me. 
Man, give your kids the blessing of a godly example. Let them see it. Here's the second challenge for you. Give your children the blessing of spiritual protection. The blessing of spiritual protection. Now, um, you're probably familiar with the Great Wall of China. You've seen pictures of it before. Maybe some of you have gotten to go there. It was built hundreds and hundreds of years ago. It's an impressive structure, right? It's like too big to knock over. It's too tall to climb. It's too long to walk around. But within 100 years of the Great Wall of China being built, China was successfully invaded three different times. Why? It wasn't the wall's fault. The guards on the wall fell asleep. Can I preach that for just a second? <laughs> you can build the best wall for your family. Like you can get your kids the best education. You can get them the right friends. You can get them financial security. You can give them the right opportunities. But if you're not standing guard on the wall, providing spiritual protection for your home, you're still vulnerable. David fell asleep on the wall. Think about what David's kids could say. They could say, my dad is the man after God's own heart. God said so. That's pretty cool to be able to say about your dad. They'd seen their dad lead God's people in battle and lead God's people in worship. They'd heard their dad writing songs and pouring out his heart to God. And yet at their moment of greatest need, David was silent. And I think this might be one of the greatest threats to manhood in our day. It's this seduction of laziness. It's real sinister. Most guys aren't tempted to be ax murderers, right? Like most of you are not at great risk today of walking out and becoming Hitler. It's not a thing. But perhaps the more dangerous temptation for us is just to slowly drift toward passivity, just kind of scrolling your phone, doing your thing, living on autopilot while the world burns and we're silent. It's been that way from the very beginning, way back in Genesis, back in the garden, Adam and Eve, you might remember. Check this out, Genesis chapter two, verses 16 and 17. says, and the Lord God commanded the man, commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, he said, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God's giving Adam the instructions for how to live successfully, how to flourish in this world that God has just given him, but notice who's not on the scene. God has not created Eve yet. In other words, God is entrusting to the man the responsibility to be the spiritual protector of his family. He's the one who's charged to tell Eve what God has said, to help her flourish and protect her. And then the serpent comes along and he tempts Eve and Eve eats the fruit. And Genesis chapter three, verse six says, she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. That means that Adam was standing there the whole time silent, and he said nothing, and he did nothing. Spiritual passivity, he failed in his God-given duty as the spiritual protector of his home. And listen, that's not to downplay the role of women as spiritual protectors and leaders for centuries. The church has flourished on the back of godly, sold-out, servant-hearted women. Christianity, statistically, has been a female-dominant faith from its inception, like the whole time. I know I am thankful, because in this church, in this room right now, I got a whole bunch of spiritual mothers and spiritual grandmothers, and I didn't even ask them to play that role in my life they just like stepped in and said like hey I'm gonna be your spiritual mama and here's how it's gonna go and I was like okay cool awesome like I'm thankful for godly women <laughs> but man man I long to see the men of this church rise up and say you know what no matter what anybody else does as for me and my house we will serve the Lord follow my example as I follow the example of Christ man <laughs> and, and I get how hard that is 
because life is hard and you're tired and like it's crazy and it's chaotic and you have bad days and if you come over to our house this afternoon, it's a mess and it's chaos and when people come over, we tell them, hey look, it ain't a museum, it's a workshop, we're building men here, pardon the mess, okay? And our kids are at that phase of life, like every phase of life is nuts, but our kids are at that phase of life where I've heard it said they're like North Koreans. They're smart enough to build nuclear weapons, they're just not mature enough to handle them, you know what I mean? (laughs) And so it's like hands-on, it takes a lot of energy right now, and I understand the temptation that life life is full and I've had a long day and I can come home and I can just kind of half check out and be half present. And yet, and yet, can can I challenge us to rise a little higher today? If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're a friend, if God has entrusted you in a role of influence with other people, can I challenge you? Pray for them. Like, pray for your kids and your grandkids. Teach your kids and your grandkids. As parents, yes, our job is to clothe our kids. But it's also to help them put on the full armor of God so that they can stand against the devil's schemes. And yeah, our job is to feed our kids. Like, give them something to eat and something to drink. But it's also to lead them to Jesus, who's the bread of life and the living water, so they're not going to be hungry and thirsty for eternity. And yes, as parents, our job is to put a roof over their heads, but it's also to prepare them for their heavenly home that they're going to live in for eternity, which is way longer than they're going to live under my roof. And yes, our job is to teach them. So teach them how to manage a budget and change the oil and throw a baseball, but also teach them how to discern what is right and wrong and the will of God. Teach them Psalm 119. How can a young person keep on the path of purity? By living according to your word. Yes, our job is to provide for them, to make sure they have what they need, to give them good gifts. Yes, but it's also to teach them what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul. Yes, our job is to bring them joy and to do fun stuff and to make good memories together as a family, but it's also to remind them that we have no greater joy than to know that our children are walking in the truth. Don't be a silent parent. Don't fall asleep on the wall. Give your children the blessing of spiritual protection. Here's the third challenge for you. Give your children the blessing of a perfect father. A perfect father. Uh, Listen, I'm I'm sure it's always been hard to raise kids and like I'm not having to go turn butter in the backyard, so I'm not going to try not to complain, right? But But there are some unique challenges about this cultural moment, and there's just so much pressure, isn't there? To make sure your kids and your family are behaving the right way and eating the right stuff and playing on the right teams and getting the right grades and having the right friends and wearing the right stuff and having the right opportunities and not gonna go make some decision that just blows up their life. And then as if there wasn't enough pressure, then you see everybody else's perfect families and their filtered pictures on Instagram from Disney World, and all you see is that your kid left his dirty underwear on the floor again, right? It's a lot of pressure. So what I don't wanna do today is I'm not trying to turn up the pressure on you. It's actually just the opposite. If it's all right, I just wanna, I want you to lift your eyes. Because David, he was a man after God's own heart. And he was a jacked up dad. And I wanna be a man after God's own heart. I want you to be a person after God's own heart. But David was a messed up dad and he came from a train wreck of a family and he gave birth to a train wreck of a family. In fact, if you go read your whole Bible this week looking for examples of good parenting, you're not gonna find much. But there is one. David introduces us to him in Psalm 103 when David says the Lord is compassionate and gracious, that can't always be said of me as a dad. But he's always slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. 
He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth. That's pretty high. So great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, that's pretty far. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Listen, your kids have a perfect dad. And it is not you. And so give them the blessing of his love. Let them live from that blessing and not for it. Lead them to him. And I don't know where you are today. Like maybe you are wanting the opportunity to become a parent and you've not received that blessing yet. And you don't know why. Maybe, maybe you're a grandparent now and it just looks different. Maybe, maybe you're kind of out of that kids in the house phase and you're looking back and you're wishing honestly that you could go back because you got some regrets and you're wishing you could start again and do it differently or maybe you are right in the thick of it right now and you don't need some preacher to beat you up because you're very well aware of how far short you're falling. Wherever you are, can I challenge you? Don't let the failures of your past rob you of the blessing of what God wants to do from you, through you in the future. Don't let your disappointment with the present rob you of how good he is and how he might want to use you in the here and now. Don't wallow in that. My challenge for you today is just get in the game. Start today. It is not too late. We need you. If you're not dead, God's not done. Because the amazing thing is God, God stepped into David's family, into that mess, from that screwed up soap opera level dysfunction. God looked and he said, yep, I'll choose that family to bring my son into the world. God sent Jesus through David's family. Remember, Jesus was called a son of David. That's crazy. And when Jesus was baptized, getting ready to start his ministry, God the Father spoke over him, and God said this. He said, this is my son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. God looked down, the only perfect father, and he spoke over his son Jesus before Jesus ever did anything to earn it, before Jesus did a miracle or taught a crowd or died on the cross, and he said, I'm pleased with him. And today, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are in Christ, that is the blessing of love that God speaks over you. It is a blessing that is freely given and it is a blessing that is meant to be shared. You are loved by your Father in heaven. You are his daughter. You are his son. And as you live from that blessing, he can use you, even you, in your weakness, in your sin, in your failure, in your passivity, in your tragedy, in your regrets. And he can take all of that imperfection and he can use it to magnify his glory, just like he did in David's family. So I don't know what your story is today, but the prayer team's gonna be gathering around the edges of the room like they always do with their green lanyards on here for the remainder of the service. And listen, if you do have some sin that you need to drag out and like, hey, listen, I wanna put a stake in the ground now. I don't want this thing to get passed on to the next generation. Let's do that today. Let's walk with you. Or if you wanna dedicate you and your family to the Lord and just say, hey, we, we need to start over and, and I've, been, I've been flunking and I just, I just need some help. Would you pray with me? Yeah, bring your family. We'd, we'd love to pray with you. Or man, if, if you just have a burden for the generations coming behind or somebody in your family who doesn't know the Lord, we'd love, love to pray with you. That is what we are here for. And maybe if I could just challenge you to sit down this afternoon with, with your family or, or over lunch and just say, you know what? Um, I don't think I've been getting it quite right or I, I wanna do better. Could you guys help me and lead them to your perfect father? But remember, we're not doing it for the blessing. We're doing it from the blessing. So as we close, I just want to read this blessing over you, if that's all right. This is from your Father in heaven. And if you would, would you just put your hands out open on your lap to receive this from your Father in heaven? This is a prayer from the Apostle Paul written a long time ago to a church in Ephesus. 
For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.